Hello everybody, welcome back to another episode of Decoding the Unknown. I'm your host, Simon Wymers here on this show, podcast, and broadcast on YouTube. This is Where is the Tomb of Genghis Khan? Written by Ilza. Thank you, Ilza. Read by me. I've never read this before. Genghis Khan's tomb. Isn't that the one where he's like, no one knows where he is? I mean, obviously, that's kind of the mystery, isn't it? But there's that legend or rumor or maybe truth that he had all these people build him this really amazing tomb and he didn't want anyone to find it. So he had them and their families killed. And then you had anyone who knew about the families being And then, you know, just to keep it a secret. And then no one found it. Well, so I'll tell you what, in today's episode, we're going to find the tomb. And then we're not. We're not. It's still going to remain a mystery, isn't it? Like, we're not answering that quite. If you clicked on this video, you'd be like, yes, finally the answer. You've clicked on the... You need to click on the Mr. Beast video where he's like, Today, I'm going to Mongolia to find the tomb of Genghis Khan. That'd be a hell of a video, wouldn't it? The first person to find it gets $100,000. Over a vast plain, the tall grass waving gently in the wind, a golden eagle soars through the open skies, its cry echoing over the peaceful landscape that time seems to have forgotten. It wasn't always sunny. It wasn't always this peaceful, though. In a time long past, a young man marched his army across the plains, trampling the grassland into mud and filling the lonely skies with the clash of steel and the screams of the dying. It's clash of steel? When was steel invented? <laughs> I get the feeling that steel... Hey Siri, when was steel invented? Mid-1850s. No, it's not steel. It's not steel. They're like battling with iron and shit or bronze. An unstoppable force, he conquered tribe after tribe to build an empire the size of which has never been seen before. Another fun fact. I, I get the fit. This could be one of those ones that turns out to be a little legend. But I don't think it is. I feel like I've covered it in a video. It's actually the truth. That, um... Genghis Khan was actually brilliant for the environment because he killed so many people that, like, global warming or whatever was the problem back then slowed down. Like, there were less people burning shit. And which was good for the planet. Because <laughs> he just killed so many. No, that'd be a bit... <laughs> That'd be a bit like saying, yeah, no, Hitler, you got rid of lots of people, and there were too many people. <laughs> Don't say that. To some, he was a villain, a monster stalking their lands and subjugating their people. To others, he was a hero, building a glorious empire that led to prosperity for all. Whether you love him or you hate him, there's no denying the fact that Genghis Khan made an impact that history will never forget. Every year, around 600,000 people visit the grave of Elvis Presley. The grave of Oscar Wilde is covered in lipstick kisses from all those die-hard fans. <laughs> okay. Wasn't Oscar Wilde gay? <laughs> so considering not that men can't wear lipstick, that's fine if that's your thing, but typically more associated with women. I'm pretty sure Oscar Wilde was gay. Didn't he? Isn't that like, didn't, oh God, I should know this. <laughs> should definitely know this. Yeah, I think he went to prison for being gay because it was the past. <laughs> so considering that his legacy is still going strong even today, just imagine how many visitors old Genghis sees every year. Well, the answer to that would be none. For much like he appeared, a young boy exploring the expansive steps of his beloved Mongolia, he vanished into the same vast wilderness without a trace. There's no tomb to visit, only statues honoring the great Khan all over Mongolia. I'd quite like to go to Mongolia. It's like one of those places where it's like, I don't know what's going on there, it seems really big. There's like not a lot going on. It used to be this huge empire. It sounds kind of fun. They had that giant golden statue of Genghis Khan, right? Is it gold or is it like white? 
I feel like there's a giant-ass gold statue of Genghis Khan, which would be quite cool to see. Perhaps the golden eagle soaring over that plane, reaching over the horizon into eternity, knows the greatest secret of Genghis Khan. Where is his team? No, it doesn't, Elsa. It's just a stupid bird. In my experience, though, eagles are much like wizards, good at keeping their secrets. So we might have to figure this one out for ourselves. Tell you what, <laughs> with much of my experience with birds is they're a bit dumb, and certainly dumber than me. And I'm not even particularly bright. The great Khan. I know, you know what? I, I know I'm brighter than fucking birds. That's for tr that's for sure. The great, even those birds that managed to like fly all the way to Africa or whatever in their like migration. I'm still smarter than them. I've got a giant brain compared to them. I could do like maths and stuff. The Great Khan. Unlike other rulers who left behind a written legacy, Genghis Khan was illiterate, having never received any formal education. Much was I once met an illiterate person. I worked in a shop, and like when I was a kid, and someone came in and bought like a birthday card and i was like ringing them up and i was like well here's your birthday card and they're like could you help me out and i'm like yeah sure could you write like dear harry happy birthday in there and i'm like there's a pen over there <laughs> like by the lottery machine for marking out the numbers well this is this isn't what i'm saying it's what i'm thinking in my head and i'm like yeah okay no problem it's not busy i can do that these so i take it out and she's like okay here you go dear harry that dear harry have a very happy birthday <laughs> love louise or whatever and I'm like, uh, okay, here you go. Here's your card. And I get home and I tell my parents this story. And they're like, oh, yeah, she probably didn't know how to write. And I'm like, you what? <laughs> that was the first time I considered that this is like... <laughs> I feel my privilege is showing. But I don't feel like that being literate is that much of a privilege. Although obviously it is in large parts of the world. Or parts of the world, at least. Even in some parts of the UK, apparently. But And I was like, wait, people don't know how to write? And my parents are like, no, not everyone knows how to write. And I'm like, I was with like 16, 17, and this blew my fucking mind. I was like, how? <laughs> what we know about how he lived and how he died is based on impressions of those around him and those that came after him. We think Temujin, as he only took the name Genghis Khan much later, was born around 1162, not far from the Onon River on the mountain of Birkin Khaldun in the Kenti province. But the exact date and place have been lost to history. No one knew how important he would one day be, so no one bothered to write down all the details of his early life. Get writing it down now. I was born 1987. Uh, people are going to need these details when I have my empire. Genghis Khan started to rise to power by uniting many of the warring Mongolian tribes until he was declared their leader by 1206. From there, he went on to build the Mongol Empire, the largest contingent land empire in history, and second only in the, to the British Empire in overall size. God save the king. Considering land, conquering land is not that hard, but keeping control of an empire that would eventually span around 12.5 million square miles without the advantages of near instant communication and the ability to reach the outskirts of your empire to put down revolts in a matter of days would have taken considerable skill and an iron will, both of which Genghis Khan had in spades. However, Genghis Khan didn't just go out and conquer the world, he also connected it in a way that it hadn't been connected before. Under Genghis Khan, the Silk Road, an ancient trade route linking China to the West, flourished. Oh. I thought the Silk Road was just a place you bought crack on the internet. And he perfected and expanded the postal system across his empire, using relay stations. A messenger could carry his missive to its destination quickly by getting a new horse at each station. Isn't that like the Pony Express? Is that what it's called, the Pony Express? 
where they built that or not built but someone set up like a load of horses or ponies i guess across america and the messenger would pick it up and he'd ride one horse and he'd pass it to the next messenger like some sort of relay race to get the message really fast and then so they did this whole thing they set it all up and then the next year like the telegram was invented like oh for fuck's sake we have spent so much money on hay this was probably a more reliable postal service than what many countries have now. Genghis Khan himself couldn't save the South African postal service if he rose from the dead. God, I hate it all. I recently, like one of our sponsors, I won't call them out for their ridiculous error, but they sent me some product of whatever it is. And it's like, obviously it's from abroad. It's got to go through customs, I think. And it arrives. And they're like, okay, so it got stuck at customs. And I'm like, oh, why is it stuck at customs? Because they wrote... And I don't know what what you're thinking. I see the invoice from them, and it's like, yeah, product one, product two, product three. Value, zero dollars. Value, zero dollars. Value, zero I'm like, obviously customs are going to look at that and be like, it's not worth zero dollars, is it? And they were like, well, you need to go back to the company, and you need to get a correct invoice, and you need to do this, and then you need to fill out this form. And I'm like, no, send it back. <laughs> send it back or destroy it. I don't care. I don't want it because it drives me potty the amount of time and it's not like i can have someone else do this for me because they're like oh we need your signature and i'm like but why why it's like it's literally gonna end up being like 50p that i owe you can you fuck off i shouldn't talk too much shit or they'll start seizing all my packages <laughs> and then they'll find all my heroin uh just joking obviously i'm not getting heroin posted to myself that would be insane I'd obviously just buy it off the Silk Road. Unlike many... And then have it posted, I guess. That's how it arrived, right? They put it in the post. <laughs> the internet's a wild place. What are we talking about? Unlike many conquerors before him and after him, Khan was quite the people person. He allowed his subjects religious freedom and rewarded loyalty at a time when social advancement was only possible to the lucky few born into the right families. He allowed his men to rise in social standing based on merit. Oh, what a unique concept. Women had the right to divorce and even own property. <laughs> That's just plain ridiculous though, isn't it? <laughs> Women owning property. Ah! <laughs> They weren't quite the equals of men, but considering the status of most women at that point in history, Genghis Khan was a feminist. In less than 20 years, Khan conquered lands stretching from the Pacific Ocean to the Caspian Sea, ensuring that he went down in history as a ruthless yet brilliant conqueror. However, as interesting as his life was, we're more interested in his death, which occurred around August 1227. This is where one of the biggest mysteries surrounding Genghis Khan begins. The death of Genghis Khan. As little as we know about the Khan's early life, we know even less about his death. We know that he died in August of 1227, but the exact date he died and what killed him is a mystery all by itself. According to Marco Polo, the Venetian explorer who spent some time with Kublai Khan, a descendant of Genghis Khan, the great Khan died after suffering an injury, an arrow to the knee. That's the famous story, right? Like, that rings bells for me. Although, didn't he die? Oh, maybe it's Alexander the... who died after, like... A victory party or something, right? His adventuring days were over. In other versions of the tale, Genghis Khan died after falling off his horse or after sustaining wounds in battle. A particularly imaginative tale, most likely spread by his enemies after his death, states that he was dispatched in a somewhat gruesome yet creative fashion by a wily Shia princess who was taken as part of his war booty. His late-night visit to get better acquainted with the damsel was his last. However, a far less interesting version of events is that Khan died from a disease, possibly typhus or malaria, as he was reported to have been unwell between August the 18th and August the 25th, and soon after, he was dead. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. Probably that's the most likely one. Getting shot in the knee and like being murdered by some 
like woman that he's stolen in part of like some weird battle it's like yeah okay that's like befitting a conqueror but you know what's more likely he just got malaria and died because malaria and typhus and whatever killed way more people than arrows to the knee didn't they his real cause of death whether by arrow or unfriendly mosquito was probably kept a secret to preserve the khan's status the great khan died while on campaign reigning in some ungrateful locals and dying is definitely a sign of weakness isn't dying in battle like glorious though or have i just watched too much star trek <laughs> today is a good day to die <laughs> Genghis Khan wanted to be buried in secret. Whether this part of his legend is fact or fiction, we don't really know. We do know that Genghis Khan was not an idiot. He was beloved by many, but he was a conqueror and probably hated by a hell of a lot more, and he knew what happened to the graves of conquerors buried with piles of treasure. Eventually, someone is going to come and dig up your bones, and if that someone is a grave robber or someone whose family you killed while conquering, your bones may end up feeding the dogs. From my research, it appears that according to Mongolian belief, graves should not be disturbed, and even today, Mongolian people are not very keen to archaeologists dig up graves. So, Genghis decided that he didn't want people to know his final resting place, and according to legend, those serving him pulled out all the stops to make sure that it'd never be found. One part of the story comes from Marco Polo again. However, this is the guy who saw dragons in China, so perhaps not the most reliable narrator. Sounds like Marco Polo been puffing on that opium pipe, doesn't it, Marco? According to the legend, an army carried the Great Khan's body back home to Mongolia. To make sure that no one knew where they were taking the body, the funeral procession killed every single person it came across. I suppose it's a good thing Mongolia has always had a low population density. After the funeral, the 2,000 slaves that built the tomb and attended to the body were all killed. Afterwards, a thousand horses were ridden over the grave to make sure that there was no sign of any disturbed earth that could just possibly hint at a grave. Someone's going to go along. He's like, wow, why is the earth so churned up here? What's up with all these horses? Why are there so many horses? Horses here just roaming around. I wonder if there's something up, up with that. In some stories, even this wasn't enough. After the horses had their turn, a river was diverted over the tomb to make sure that no one would accidentally discover it. The soldiers that accompanied the Khan's body to his future tomb were also killed, and the soldiers who killed them then committed suicide. However, sources are beginning to get a bit vague at this point, so whether it's a whole new company of soldiers killing the first lot and then themselves, or just one half killing the other half before committing suicide, seems a little unclear. Well, the, the, the second option would be a lot more efficient, wouldn't it? <laughs> they could just do it until like there's one guy left and just one guy has to commit suicide however despite all this effort to conceal the grave the family of the khan still needed to find their way to the tombs so instead of drawing a map a baby camel still feeding on mother's milk was killed and buried with the khan and his 2000 slaves and a company of soldiers in front of the mother uh Okay, that sounds like a great alternative to a map. Exactly how? Every spring, the mother camel would be released, and she would lead the family to the spot where her baby had been buried. However, this plan was apparently not thought through very well, since camels aren't immortal, so when the mother camel died, she took the location of Genghis Khan's grave to her grave. Um, okay, well, all the family that went there, they've been there many times. It's not like you go there, it's not like, oh yeah, no, we can't remember where it is, we have to have the camel with a magical memory. This is a silly story that's obviously not real. Mortal camels weren't the only guardians, though according to some stories, the Dark Hat, a Aryan Kai tribe, still guards the tomb of Genghis Khan. This would be difficult if everyone who knew where he was buried had been killed, but let's not let logic get in the way of a good story. Tales of the slaughter of thousands of people and one baby camel to hide the death of one man aside. According to 17th century Mongolian chronicles, the great Khan's body was returned to Mongolia and he was buried with 40 girls dressed in their best finery and a sacrificial horse or six. However, the chronicles fail to mention where exactly this burial took place. A less sensate 
sensational story, and one I find a little more likely, simply states that the Great Khan's wife prepared his body for burial in the simple way Genghis Khan himself had lived. He was dressed in a white robe, felt boots, and a hat. The body was then wrapped up in a white felt blanket with fragrant sandalwood and bound with three golden stamps, straps before being buried. Scholars theorize that the Khan was probably buried with a good collection of treasure. Most of the treasure looted from by the Mongol army has never been found. This would tell us a lot about the man and the time in which he lived. However, before we can find the tomb and all its secrets, we have to contend the curse. Oh no, that sounds real. Also, if you even if you came across this tomb today, like Genghis Khan's tomb, and it, like legend, had all this legendary treasure in it or whatever, what are the odds that it's still there? Because someone probably found it. Even if it if it was if it is found, someone probably found it before, and then they stole all the treasure from it, and then they didn't tell anyone because you're not allowed to just steal treasure. <laughs> it's like when they discover a new tomb in Egypt or whatever, and it's like it's empty. They're like, well, we weren't the first to discover it, were we? Because someone else discovered it, and they weren't an archaeologist. They just were after like gold and shit. The curse of Genghis Khan's tomb. All writers know that you can't have a lost tomb tale without a curse. According to believers, should the tomb of the great Genghis Khan ever be opened, the world will end. Or if you want to be less dramatic, it'll start the Third World War, but I'm not sure humanity would survive that. So, well, the end result is the same. The curse seems to be rooted in the curse of Timur, also known as Tamerlane, a Turkic Mongol ruler who may have shared a common ancestor with Genghis Khan on his father's side. Honestly, the familial link is incredibly tenuous, but it's a good story, so I'm going to tell it anyway. Timur had not just one, but two curses. A 17th century text states that who disturbs Tamerlane's tomb will release a spirit of war. And such a bloody and terrible slaughter will commence that the world has not seen in all eternity. A second curse was apparently found inscribed inside the coffin. Whoever opens my tomb shall unleash an invader more terrible than I. <laughs> Again, none of this sounds real. I'm exactly the sort of person who, like, in my mind, I'd be like, ooh, better open that tomb. And then someone would be like, we need to open the tomb to see what's inside. I'd be like, okay, <laughs> crack that bitch open. Let's go. If I was a Soviet archaeologist coming across this inscription in June 1941, I would have paused for a moment. However, Stalin had a bee in his bonnet about this excavation, so the grand disturbance of the cursed tomb proceeded. Yeah, me and Stalin, same page. Three days later, the Nazis launched Operation Barbarossa, invading the Soviet Union. By now, people were paying a little more attention to the curse, and Stalin, apparently a believer, ordered Timur to be reburied on the double. Not long after Timur was again entombed, the Soviets were victorious in the Battle of Stalingrad, one of the bloodiest battles of the Second World War. Some stories suggest that before digging up Timur, Stalin had attempted to find Genghis Khan as well, but since opening his tomb will lead to the end of the world, it's a good thing the Soviets found old Timur instead. No, it's not. It's not real. You can open that. I'd open that tomb and they'd be like, Simon, you've caused the end of the world. They're like, no, I haven't. Just relax. Everything's fine. <laughs> and then the aliens come down. <laughs> You're like, no. However, more recent expeditions have faced their fair share of unfortunate events, suggesting that there may be some truth to the curse after all. Oh, no. And by truth, we mean coincidence. In <laughs> At least I mean that. Skills right. I, I don't know if you mean that as well. But may maybe you do think the curse is real. A 2002 American expedition under the leadership of John Woods and funded by Maury Kravitz had to be called off when a number of party members were bitten by venomous snakes. On top of the snakes, a car rolled off a hillside for no apparent reason. An anthrax scare killed several animals in the area and finally... <laughs> Doesn't sound like an anthrax scare, then. It just sounds like anthrax, doesn't it? And finally, the former Mongolian prime minister accused the expedition of desecrating a sacred site, which led to the Mongolian National Security Council revoking their permission to excavate. Can all of this truly be a mere coincidence? Yes. 
Yes, it can. People got bitten by snakes. Where there were snakes. A car rolled off a cliff. Probably because someone forgot to put the fucking handbrake on. Where is the not-so-cursed tomb? Genghis Khan was buried in a grave so unmarked and so secret that we still have no idea where this tomb is. Since there's no historical record with a conveniently marked map, we don't even know where to start looking. However, we also have no idea what we're looking for since there's no description anywhere of what this tomb might look like. On top of that, searching for a tomb in Mongolia is a daunting task. It's a huge country that's still fairly undeveloped. It's about seven times the size of Great Britain with only 2% of its roads. Oh my god, there's no road in Mongolia. Kind of want to go to Mongolia even more now. Some researchers believe the Zangnu people were the ancestors of the Mongolian people and ultimately Genghis Khan. This means that excavations at a 2,000-year-old Zangnu burial grounds might just give us an idea of what Genghis Khan's tomb looks like if the Mongolian people followed similar burial practices to their Zhangnu ancestors. The Zhangnu kings were buried in log chambers 20 meters underground. The sites were then marked with a square of stones. The excavated tomb included a wealth of treasure such as a Chinese chariot Roman glassware and gold and silver ornaments incorporating leopards and unicorns in their design, imagery also used by Genghis Khan and his descendants. However, finding a 20-meter-deep, unmarked tomb in a country the size of Mongolia becomes virtually impossible. If this is what Genghis Khan's tomb looks like, it doesn't really help us at all. Most scholars agree that Genghis Khan came home since the idea of a homeland is very important in Mongol culture. So if he returned to Mongolia, where is the most likely place that he would have chosen to be buried? Many believe the answer to this question is in Burkhan Khaldun, a sacred mountain peak in the Kenti Mountains in the Kenti province, around 1600 kilometers or 990 miles northeast of Ulaanbaatar, the capital of Mongolia. The Secret History of the Mongols was written sometime after the death of Genghis Khan by an unknown author. It's the oldest surviving literary work in the Mongol language and considered to be an incredibly valuable source of information not only about Genghis Khan, but also about the Mongol culture before the influence of Buddhism. However, since we don't know who the author is, and because it was written after the death of Genghis Khan, we can't know for sure just how accurate it is. And in keeping with the mystery of Genghis Khan, the Secret History mentions that Khan ascended to heaven in 1227, but once again, there's no description of his grave or maps to his tomb. For future authors in the audience, I can't emphasize the value of maps in literature enough. <laughs> yes, well the whole point was he didn't want any maps. While the text isn't particularly useful in finding the tomb, it does state that Genghis Khan had strong feelings towards Burkhan Khaldun. According to one tale, as a young man, Genghis used the mountain to escape the Merkit, an enemy tribe. He fled to the sacred mountain and found shelter with an old woman. According to The Secret History, Khan stated that every morning I will sacrifice to Burkhan Khaldun. Every day I will pray to it. The offspring of my offspring shall be mindful of this and do likewise. Whether the offspring of his offspring honored this or even knew about it, we don't know, but scholars claim that this is a fairly good indication that this mountain was important enough to Khan that it could very well be where he wanted to be buried. The text also mentions that this mountain was the site of the first Mongol settlement, so it's an important place for a number of reasons. Another story, though I'm not sure of the source, claims that Khan was hunting in the mountains and was so overcome with the beauty of the landscape that he decided that he wanted to be buried there. According to the 13th century historian Rashid al-Din, Khan specifically declared, Our burial site and that of our offspring will be here. For some context, Rashid al-Din was commissioned to write a complete history of Mongols, which he completed between 1307 and 1316, so once again a second-hand account of the wishes of Khan. Yeah, I mean, it's like you do go back this far in history and everything's like going to be second-hand, especially when someone <laughs> they weren't writing about him. It's all just like very unreliable stuff. To give further credence to the belief that Genghis 
Khan is buried somewhere on the slopes of Burke and Khaldun is the fact that according to Mongol belief, being buried at high altitude is important. Apparently, according to the secret history, one Jamukha, a former friend and eventual arch-enemy of Genghis Khan, it's a plot twist, because we need one of those, pleaded for the Khan's body to be buried high. Considering Khan's status, it would have made sense to bury him in the highest possible spot. There's also the tale that shortly after Khan's death, his soldiers sealed off an area of more than 240 square miles on Burke and Khaldun, which became known as Ichikorig, or the Great Taboo, though other sources call it the Forbidden Precinct. The area was declared sacred, and no one, else, no one was allowed to enter except family members and the Dark Hat, an elite group of warriors and their families who were tasked to ensure that the area remained off-limits to everyone else. Entering the Forbidden Area, if you weren't family or Dark Hat, meant death. The Dark Hat protected this area long after the Mongol Empire collapsed, and even when foreign armies invaded Mongolia, the Mongols made sure no one entered the sacred precinct of their esteemed ancestor. The Mongolian People's Republic became a satellite state of the USSR in 1924, and the Soviets wisely decided to honor this tradition in order to prevent any pesky Mongolian nationalism, because you know how that's going to go. However, Burke and Khaldun is not exactly a hill, it's a mountain. To make things even more complicated, it's not the only mountain with this name. There were at least five mountains called Burke and Khaldun, although there could have been more. There's going to be a point, right, where technology gets really amazing, and they'll, you know, they've got that ground penetrating radar or whatever, where it's like they hold it to the ground and it scans underneath. Surely at some point they're going to be able to attach that shit to drones and or satellites or whatever, and they'll just scan the whole planet and be like, yeah, Lost City here, Genghis Khan's tomb here, you know, super secret military spy base there. Easy, right? Technology's gonna get there. Or like some sort of magical gold detector, and it'll just detect the gold in the tomb. We assume that Khan was referring to the mountain close to where he was born, but we don't actually know for sure. The secret history mentions Burke and Khaldun, but it doesn't state where exactly Burke and Khaldun is, so for all we know, we're not even looking at the right mountain. Digging around on the mountain looking for lost Khans is also not an option. The area is a UNESCO World Heritage Site. Women still aren't welcome on the sacred mountain, and even though it's open to more visitors due to its protected nature, researchers doing anything other than admiring the scenery will get themselves kicked out real quick. After the Soviets left in the 1980s, but before the area became a UNESCO World Heritage Site, a Mongolian-Japanese expedition called Gurban Gol, meaning Three Rivers, researched a number of archaeological sites, among them the restricted area. The Gurban Gol project was focused on Genghis Khan's birthplace in the Kenti province, where the Onan, Kurlan, and Tul rivers flow. Using ultrasonography, the team determined there were as many as 1,380 possible grave sites in the area. Half of public protests brought an end to their search before anything anything definitive could be found. In 2001, an American and Mongolian expedition financed by Maury Kravitz, a retired Chicago commodities trader and led by Professor John Woods of the University of Chicago, tried their luck at finding the tomb of Genghis Khan and searched the area around Bukhan Khaldun, but it was forbidden by authorities to access the actual restricted area on the mountain. However, they discovered a walled burial ground called the Almsgiver's Castle, Chinggis Castle, and Red Rock by the locals. The site is near the village of Bat-Shirit in the Kenti province and contains around 20 unopened grave sites inside a 10-foot-high, 3-meter wall with a circumference of 2 miles, or 3.2 kilometers. At the top of the hill, the team came across an open burial pit about 6 feet, or 1.8 meters deep, and 10 to 13 feet, or 3 to 3.6 meters long. It looked like a tomb that might have never been finished, or at the very least was probably never used. 
The burial ground is a few miles from where we believe Genghis Khan was born, as well as close to the spot where he was proclaimed Emperor of the Mongols in 1206, so the area is certainly significant and many familiar complex. This is all promising, but along with the curse setting vipers on the research team and rolling cars, the evidence also seems to suggest that this is not the final resting place of the Great Khan. There were no royal graves in the area, and many of the pottery shards found at the tomb possibly predate the era of Genghis Khan. Travis passed away in 2012 without ever finding the tomb, but many believed that he was on the right track. In 2009, Dr. Albert Lin led a National Geographic-funded expedition to Ikhkorig to survey the area and, if possible, find the lost tomb. The team went in looking for man-made objects in the remote area, and they came across the foundation of a large structure. Field scientists and archaeologists studied the site using high-tech tools like radar, magnetometers, and drones. The finds were exciting. The team identified hundreds of man-made objects such as arrowheads, ceramics, roof tiles, and even bricks scattered around the area. Carbon dating was done on some of the finds, and the age seemed to fit with the time of Genghis Khan's life and death. However, due to the strict government control, the team couldn't go in with spades and start excavating, and so the Valley of the Khan's born. The Valley of the Khan's project was a combined effort of the University of California and National Geographic, and managed to identify 55 possible locations for the tomb of Genghis Khan all from space. Since excavating is impossible, considering the site's protected status and parts of it can't easily be reached anyway, Lin and his team came up with the idea to capture satellite images of the area and search the high-resolution images for any clues to the exact location of the tomb. The team collected 84,000 tiles of images that covered roughly 6,000 square kilometers. A single archaeologist studying an area of that size would probably take years, so instead the team called in the cavalry. In this instance, the cavalry was volunteers with an interest in archaeology and a good internet connection. A group of 10,000 volunteers were instructed to study an image and tag the image with labels for roads, rivers, modern structures, ancient structures, or other. Volunteers were also shown images tagged by other volunteers and asked if they agreed with the tags. The group of volunteers worked through the images in six months, clocking around 30,000 hours, which translates to three years of work, and generated two million tags, which they then culled down to 100 sites accessible to researchers. The field team explored these locations, and out of the 100 identified 55 that could be archaeologically and culturally significant, arranging from the Bronze Age to the Mongol period, including Bronze Age, Kirigzur burial mounds, Deerstone megaliths, ancient city fortifications. Sadly, no sign of the tomb was found, but this project opened up a new approach to archaeology, and somehow finding the tomb from space does seem kind of fitting. In 2015, Pierre-Henri Giscard, a French archaeologist, and Raphael Houtfort, an imaging expert, used drones to investigate a suspicious mound around 300 meters long and over 20 meters high on the slopes of Burke and Cowden. This mound, or tumulus, has been... <laughs> is that just a fancy word for mound? The tumulus culture. Oh, prehistoric, okay. <laughs> Seems like that's something else. Has been noted by prior researchers, but so far no one has had the opportunity to really take a good look at it. Some sources claim that according to Alton Tobchi, or Golden Summary, this great oval tumulus is in fact the place Genghis Khan was buried when his body was finally returned to Mongolia. Their investigation revealed a man-made structure possibly modeled on Chinese imperial tombs. Six symbols appear on the sides of the mounds. These symbols appear to be Tamgus, a symbol representing a specific tribe or personal seal or stamp of a specific person. Two of these Tamgus have been found on the coinage of the Mongol Khans Goyuk and Monkey. <laughs> or Monkey, or Monk. 
Not sure the pronunciation on that one. Grandsons of Genghis Khan. Unfortunately, we don't know what Khan's Tamgya looked like. This would suggest that the mound is a grave for at least two individuals, and since it's believed that Genghis Khan's son and other family members were eventually buried with him, it stands to reason that this mound is the burial place of Genghis Khan and other members of the royal family. Unfortunately, without permits from the government, it will be impossible to take a closer look. The researchers doing this investigation were doing it without getting approval from local authorities. Since the data was technically obtained illegally, it appears that Giscard has not published his research yet, or if he did, it's in French because I couldn't find anything in English. Sneaky Giscard. He's like, he goes back to France and he's like, oh, I shall publish in French and they will never know. Another popular theory suggests that Genghis Khan was buried near his palace, which was rediscovered in 2004. A Japanese-Mongolian team uncovered the palace complex, built around 1200, on a grassy steppe around 150 miles or 250 kilometers east of Ulaanbaatar, near the village of Delgaran. Researchers discovered porcelain in the ruins dating back to the time of Khan, and a description of the scenery around the palace matched the description given by a messenger from China's southern Tang dynasty in 1232, so we're fairly sure this was Genghis Khan's Ordos Palace. It's pretty cool that they found that, like, recently. 2004? I mean, it's like 20 years ago, but still, that's like, in the grand scheme of things, that's very recent. So maybe we will find Genghis Khan's tomb. Maybe using drones and shit, people will find it, or satellites. A mausoleum was discovered at the site, which is significant. According to ancient texts, I'm not sure which texts exactly, there was a mausoleum close to the Great Khan's burial site, and court officials commuted from the mausoleum to the burial site daily to conduct rituals for the dead. Some of these rituals apparently included sacrificing and burying animals every day for three years, and a large amount of burned bones and ash from horses and cattle were found at the site. Researchers are also of the opinion that the building is consistent with that of a mausoleum built for a great ruler. The team didn't set out to find the tomb, they just wanted to find the palace and considered the possibility of finding Khan's tomb to be a bonus. To my knowledge, though, the tomb still remains very much unfound, but it's a good theory. However, not everybody is convinced the Great Khan made it home. In fact, some believe Genghis Khan's body was never returned to Mongolia. According to the Erdenin Tobchi and the Atlan Tobchi, two very important 17th century Mongolian texts, the coffin was already empty when it reached Mongolia. However, we now run into a problem because those paying attention would notice that a mere paragraph ago, the Alton Tobchi was used as a source to prove that Genghis Khan is buried at Birkin Khaldun. Okay, contradicts itself, it seems. The sources are now contradicting each other, and I fear the only way to know if these what these texts are actually saying about the burial place of Genghis Khan would be to read them in their original Mongolian, which alas, I cannot. <laughs> My 17th century Mongolian's a little bit rusty. Oh, is it now? It's weird. My 17th century Mongolian's uh, spot on. So, if we ignore the text and just use common sense, there might be something to the theory that Genghis Khan isn't buried in Mongolia. At the time of his death, Genghis Khan was off subduing Tangerts in what is today northwestern China. That meant he was a long way from home, around 311 miles or 500 kilometers to be exact. That doesn't seem that far in like modern terms, does it? Like 311 miles? Is that is it? 500 kilometers is a relatively long drive, but it's not particularly wild. You could easily do it in a day. As far as I can tell, the Mongols weren't exactly the leaders in the field of embalming, so it would have been very difficult to get the Great Khan back to Mongolia before he started decomposing. Genghis Khan also died at a bit of an inconvenient time, August, so they didn't really have the option of putting him on ice either. <laughs> it's like, should we take him back? Oh, no, he's already getting a bit ripe, isn't he? <laughs> this leads some to... Can they just seal him in a box or something? 
This leads some to believe that Genghis Khan was buried in the Ordos region of northwestern China. However, there are other contenders for the Khan's final resting place in China. According to some tales, when Genghis Khan's forces were fighting with the Western Shia dynasty, Khan had his army pass by in, oh my lord, Yi Ji Huo Li Wo. Maybe. He was captured by the beautiful grasslands with lush grass flowers of deer. At that moment, the horsewhip dropped from his hands, and apparently this was a sign, so he chanted, a place where flowers and deer inhabit, a home where hoopos give birth to their babies, a terror where the decline dynasty revives, and a garden where grey-haired man enjoys his life. He looked at his servants and said, after I die, bury me here. I find it amazing that of all the speeches he probably made in his life, this particular one would be so well remembered. After his death, the hearse carrying his corpse back to Mongolia passed by the place where our ruthless conqueror got so poetic, and the cartwheel sank into the mud, and no matter how hard the horses pulled, the hearse was going nowhere. This just sounds like a legend. So, remembering his lyrical description, the people built a mausoleum palace for him, calling it Yijin Hawelio, meaning the land of the holy, the holy land of the emperor in Mongol. I mean, my, I guess my Mongolian's a little rustier than I thought. Another possible location in China is the Qinyan Valley, which, according to the Yuan Dynasty, the Mongol rulers of China from 1271 to 1368, all the Mongol emperors were buried there. However, once again, no one thought to draw a map or even describe where this valley is supposed to be. Needless to say, the theory that Genghis Khan is not buried in Mongolia but in China isn't very popular at all, so if you believe this and visit Mongolia, best keep it to yourself. But most recently, in August 2022, the team claimed to have found the tomb of Genghis Khan while building a road near the Onon River in the Kenti province of Mongolia when construction workers came upon a massive grave. Forensic experts and archaeologists were called in and they concluded that it was a Mongolian royal tomb from the 13th century. One set of remains found under a slow stone slab belonged to a man aged between 60 and 75 who had died between 1215 and 1235. Okay, here we go. I feel like if Genghis, tombs had, Genghis Khan's tomb had actually been discovered though, I would know this because it would be like big news right? It's not like you'd miss that. However, our man in the tomb wasn't buried alone. 68 skeletons found on the stone structure were probably the slaves who built the tomb and were then killed for their trouble. Inside the tomb were 16 female skeletons. These were most likely concubines and wives killed to join whoever was buried here in the afterlife. That's so fucked up. The remains of 12 horses suggest that animals were sacrificed to accompany the, the unknown deceased into death because we all need at least 12 horses. Gold and silver artifacts as well as thousands of coins were scattered all across the tomb. Apparently, the tomb had been buried under the Onon River for centuries. However, the river changed course in the 18th century, so the contents were badly deteriorated. This certainly matches the version of events where an entire river was redirected over the Khan's tomb. But so far, there hasn't been any confirmation about whether or not this find is real or whether it's the actual tomb of Genghis Khan. If we consider the legends and stories which often convey truth, Birkenkarden does seem the most likely spot Genghis Khan would have chosen for his final resting place. However, if we lean more towards common sense, it would seem unlikely that Khan ever returned to Mongolia unless he had some crazy fast horses. The search for the lost tomb is very exciting, but until someone gets the necessary permissions to go dig up the forbidden precinct in Birkin Khardun, I doubt that we'll ever learn the truth. Yeah, but we will eventually. When they do, you know, when something happens and people go looking for it, and then they find it with, like, magical technology from the future. Woo! Digging through the past to learn how people and events in history shaped our present is one of my secret hobbies. Secret hobbies? 
Doesn't seem that secret. Possibly the best part of my job, other than finding obscure pop culture references to confuse Simon with, is reading all about the latest archaeological finds and seeing how they change what we thought we knew about the world. Finding the tomb of Genghis Khan would certainly provide us with a whole new understanding of the life and world of this influential figure. However, finding this tomb is also not that straightforward. While some of the other mysteries we cover would once solve not really have that big of an impact on the world at large, this doesn't hold true for the tomb Genghis. Many Chinese people believe that Genghis Khan was actually Chinese and that China should claim him as their own. A huge and very popular monument was constructed in China containing what is supposed to be a replica of Khan's empty coffin. There are also some in China who believe that Mongolia, like Tibet, should be a part of China, as it was under the rule of Kublai Khan. However, to the Mongols living on the Mongolian steppe, Genghis Khan is Mongolian, and the dynasty of Genghis Khan belongs to the Mongol people, not China. Quite, it would be a bit of a blow to them if it's like, yeah, no, we genetically tested it as how he is Chinese. How what do you know? Even Russia and Kazakhstan have claimed that Genghis Khan is buried in their territory, making them the symbolic heirs of the legacy and empire of Genghis Khan. All in all, this is one mystery that actually has potential geopolitical repercussions should it ever be decoded. On top of that, many of the Mongolian people simply don't want Genghis Khan to be found. According to ancient traditions, burial spots are forbidden, and many Mongolians don't like foreigners digging around in the graves of their esteemed ancestors, no matter how good their intentions. Many feel that Genghis Khan didn't want his tomb to be found, and he went through a great deal of effort to hide it. Disturbing it after this time would violate his wishes. This raises an important question regardless of what we could learn about history. Do we have the right to disturb the graves of fallen heroes? It's not a question I'm going to try and answer, but in this case, since Genghis Khan started his life as a little boy in the Mongol steppes, perhaps that is where he should remain, undisturbed in his unmarked grave, according to his wishes. Perhaps we finally come across a mystery. Remain a mystery. Yeah, I don't know how I feel about it. I'm like, in some ways, I'm like, oh, you know, it's a really long time ago. Dig him out. Let's find out something interesting about history. But I'm also like, in another mind, being like, eh, whatever, just let him be. Do we need to look for it? No, actually, I'm, I'm on the side of history. Let's dig him up and see what's in there. <laughs> I just made up my mind in that second. Thanks for being here. Hope you enjoyed the episode. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device, or play on PC through Facebook games.